Greetings in the name of Christ. Welcome to another segment of the Hope to Hope podcast. This podcast exists to share Christ, his truth, and his saving love for his people. To this end, we exist to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I I want to emphasize enjoy God forever, particularly today because this section that we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 to verse 23 is about continuing to enjoy God. There are things in our Christian walk and our Christian journey that threaten this joy. Well, over and above sin, there are other things that threaten our joy, that take away our joy in God. David in Psalm 51 talks about restoring the joy of his salvation after he had committed that horrendous sin with Bathsheba and also uh, murdering her husband. Well, he uh, wanted God to restore the joy of his salvation because of his heinous sins that he had committed against God, murder and immorality. Now here in Colossians chapter 2, Paul talks about other things that take away our joy that make us not enjoy God and enjoy our salvation. They are legalism, mysticism, and ascetism. Let me just give you the marks of each one. And then today, or in this segment rather, we will just look at legalism and then mysticism on its own and perhaps ascetism on its own or Depending on how much time we have, we'll look at mysticism and ascetism together. But legalism, the marks of legalism, legalism demands uniformity. It loves lists, rules, and rituals. It promotes authoritarianism, defines relationships by external laws, and devalues joy, the big one today. Mysticism promotes false humility, roots itself, uh, its authority in subjective experiences, self-authenticating, always seeks more experience. It's anti-intellectual. It it wants your mind to be disengaged. It it wants your Christianity to be unthinking. Ascetism demands denial of the things that God gives us to enjoy. It promotes spiritual health through denialism, which is wrong. Abstain from certain foods that God has created for us to enjoy if they are eaten with thanksgiving, which is why things like the religion of veganism cannot be true. But let us look at legalism. But before we do that, let us read the text together. From verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one Keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, 
taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshy mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of this world, why, as if you were lying in the world, living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. This, what Paul is describing here, is like coming to Christianity and then find it sour. Like, you know, I love custard, but I don't have it as much as I used to have it before. But I remember one day, you know, just... uh, taking a, a box of or a pint of, of, of custard and just uh, drinking out of the container uh, and then gulping it down only to find out uh, that this custard was a bit chunky <laughs> and uh, too watery. Well, it means that it had gone sour, like milk that's gone sour. So you come to this religion called Christianity and you find that it is sour or it has gone sour. What causes it to go sour? Things like legalism, mysticism and ascetism that Paul describes here. But as I said, we will look at legalism. Legalism is an attempt to please God by measuring up to a list of external rules of conduct. In this context here, Paul is warning that um, there have been some influential visitors to the Church of Colossae who began teaching uh, the new Christians here about the Christian life, and they were false teachers. They told believers at Colossae that it is very good to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as God, but they were missing some deeper spiritual things. Uh, They had very condescending and belittling attitude towards the young faith of the believers in Colossae. One of those things that they taught there was that to move into a deeper walk with God or to become really spiritual, you have to pick up the Old Testament laws again, specifically to pick up the law in regard to diet, in regard to days, festivals, Sabbaths, new moons, and and all those things and those celebrations. This is the doctrine of legalism. The legalism is this kind of food and, you know, not abstaining from certain foods or drinking or not to um, do this and don't do that. Celebrate this day, don't celebrate these days, the Sabbaths and uh, all those things that Paul says here. The teachers in Colossae, false teachers, taught the believers that they needed to pick up these laws, the dietary laws, in order for them to have a relationship with God. Well, Paul is about to to rebuke these false teachers, saying that Jesus is himself, in himself, sufficient. 
You do not need those old covenant laws in order to have a right relationship with God. Jesus is all and in all. Do not let anyone point you away from Jesus Christ and his sufficiency by turning your attention away from him towards the law. Uh, legalism will not make you superior and will not cause you to grow deeper in your walk with God in any way. Rather, it will cause you to become shallower and <clears throat> inferior. And this is what the false teachers here were saying. Food cannot make a person unclean, but it is what is issued from the heart that makes a person unclean. Jesus is the one who fulfilled the law on our behalf, and he has declared food clean. And Paul is going to make a similar point. Uh, he does in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do eat. In other words, the Bible does not forbid us from doing from 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 being in, engaging in in certain dietary principles for ourselves, just as long as we do not make it a blanket restriction or commandment upon all the or all, all Christians. We are no worse if we do eat, but we are also no better if we do not eat. The, the Bible is very clear on this. You have to convince yourself in your own mind whether to eat or to not eat. The Bible does not say what is right to eat and what is wrong to eat. But, of course, we still have to apply wisdom. The Bible does not mean that you have to then engage excessively in gluttony or in foods that are unhealthy for your body. Well, you have to be a thinking Christian. And as thinking Christians, we know that even though we are free to eat all things, we are, however, not free to eat foods that are going to destroy our bodies. And we would be unwise to engage in, in eating foods that dietitians, doctors, and scientists tell us are harmful to our body. And so we have to put the two together. What we know as knowledge and what we have to eat and decide what is good and best for our bodies because we have to use our bodies to glorify God and to enjoy him with our bodies. We cannot be enjoying him if our bodies are wasting away because of food. And so we, do, we should not destroy with food what God has purchased with his own blood and body. But at the same time, even if someone were to eat foods that you we know are unhealthy, we still cannot judge them. Or we should just ignore them and pretend like we are not seeing them unless we have that intimate and, and, and that kind of relationship with them that we can talk to them or advise them. But the Bible is very clear. Whether you eat or you do not eat, it's of no material value with regards to your salvation. And so Paul says, do not let anyone judge you on these matters. Jesus alone is the judge. Why are you letting these people who come with condescending attitude tell you there is a superior way to live out your life before God. These laws are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. We have the reality of our union with Jesus Christ. That is why Paul can say in verse 9, 
For in Christ the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given the fullness of Christ. As Paul is telling them here, is that we have begun with Christ, and so we should stay with Christ and not then engage in legalism. Legalism. Is legalism a threat uh, which exists today? And I think it is. And let me go a little bit longer here, and I want you to just indulge me, and let me just uh, tell you of these marks of legalism. Legalism is always luring, alluring, and, and, and tempting every generation. It takes various forms, uh, this uh, legalism. But we can recognize it. And here is how to recognize legalism. Firstly, it demands uniformity, as I said. With a legalistic environment, people become uniform and tend to dress alike and look alike and talk alike and act alike and in all social gatherings. Often a lack of uniformity in these external matters within the context of a legalistic environment, if one strays from the uniformity from these external uh, things uh, and uh, they do not look alike or dress alike and, or not conform to certain standards, they are considered to have left the faith altogether. That's the first mark of legalism. Secondly, legalism loves a list of carefully drafted and crafted rules um, of elaborate rituals, rules which go beyond scripture and are never given within scripture. Legalism creates laws from, from every detail of behavior. No personal discernment is required and in legalism, not even uh, there's not even a, a a goal of things that you or that you have to reach in order for you to to be regarded as having conformed to the laws. Legalism is deadly. It 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 says this is how you have to worship God and does not give room for deviation with regards to how worship should be done and so that's legalism and the third mark of legalism is, is it promotes authoritarianism it promote it is promoted by people who seek control and to lord it over others leaders often lead by force by threat rather than by love and service leaders in legalism become outraged when their authority is questioned even in the most humble, honorable, loving, submissive ways. They do not want to be questioned. Fourthly, legalism defines relationship by external laws rather than by love. It loses sight of the core of friendship. Christian friendship and fellowship is based in scripture and upon union with Christ and submission to him and conformity to him alone. Uh, so it is not so in the legalistic context. In a legalistic context, relationships are de defined upon the, the basis of externals. If you submit and conform to these externals, then you are in the group, in the friendship, and in the right relationship. Often, as a result of that, relationships are cut off quickly 
and callously when man-made rules are not agreed to. And fifthly, legalism deval, you know, devalues joy. There is no big emphasis upon the spiritual fruit of joy, the fruit of the Spirit in the Christian life. Joy is not thought of in a legalistic context. It is thought of as being a bad thing rather than a good thing, optimal thing. Joy is, is viewed with suspicion. If there is too much joy in a person's life, then in the context of legalism, they wonder whether or not this person is truly conforming. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. And as Christian joy, as Christians, joy is not optional. If we are pursuing a relationship with God, joy is an absolute essential for what it means to work with God and to have life in God.